another edition of heat check we're recording this monday monday afternoon um ahead of another big week of college basketball we had a pretty uh stacked weekend of college hoops where a lot went down um i think our leading story peyton uh comes from another i mean we talked about it last week we talked we've talked about it a bunch this season struggling blue bloods um and that kind of continued again on saturday duke losing to louisville 70 to 65 as their second straight loss um kind of lost in third straight loss mm-hmm. both I mean, Kansas and duke have won or lost three in a row okay my my apologies i'm i'm i was incorrect on the on the losses um but second straight that kind of happened in the same exact way matthew hurt scores a bunch of points then and jalen johnson kind of disappears um Matthew Hurt does the Jalen Johnson of fouling out with about a minute and a half to go. Jalen Johnson fouled out with like a minute and a half to go against Pitt. Kind of goes in the same way. At the end of this, the game, and the reason we're leading the show with this, Coach K in the in a press conference post game, um, kind of belittling a student reporter. So we will play that audio here and then discuss it in a moment. Coach, I'm just curious as to what, what the next step forward here is for the team as you guys move into another week of basketball. Yeah, why don't we just evaluate this game? You know, I'm not into what our next step forward is right now. We just finished the hard-fought game. Yeah, I don't know if, like, when you, what, what, what's your major? What's your major at Duke? What's your hardest class? Econ. Okay, so say you just had the toughest econ test in the world. And when you walked out, somebody asked you, what's your next step? Uh, you see what I mean? Does that, you have some empathy and, and you know, just give us time to evaluate this game and then we'll, we'll figure out just like we always try to do. All right. So now that you heard that audio, Peyton, I want to ask you, you're, takeaways from coach K um, now that we know that the student reporter um, I don't know if you read um, his, his column about the weekend and what, what went down and coach K eventually calling him to apologize. Um, but you sent it to me and you were like, did you see this? Cause at the, when it first happened, I obviously wasn't like live streaming the Duke post game uh, press conference or whatever what stood out to you and, and just what does that say about this year in Duke basketball? Um, I think the operative word would be odd. Um, to say this is fully out of character, I think might be a little bit of a reach for coach K. We know that in the past after not just one loss, but at, when things start to, to pile up, he starts to get frustrated. He's a guy who's accustomed to success and it's not come for them this year. And, um, he's a lot more jovial and easier to work with when he's got Zion Williamson and he knows everything's going to be okay. He doesn't know everything's going to be okay right now. They may miss the tournament. They very well probably would miss the tournament. Um, actually, they definitely would uh, if it were selected today. So they've got a lot of work to do, and I know there's a lot of frustration there. That's not to excuse what Coach K did because it was um, – uh, who am I to just condemn one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time? But in the same breath, it felt childish. It felt more than anything to me. And I'll let you 
jump in here after I say this, just unnecessary. Uh, it was a fair question asked in a polite and fair tone. And I understand you're upset. And sometimes our emotions get the best of us. And Coach K, you know, maybe should be held to a higher standard than the rest of us because he's a college basketball coach. But even still, it just it felt strange and unnecessary and odd um, and, and uncomfortable to me. I mean, he's the he's the winningest coach in the sports history. Um, he's I don't think it I don't think it would be wrong to say he's I don't think it would be wrong to say that he's the best winner in the sports history, uh, maybe aside from John Wooden. He's also one of the sport's worst losers. He last year, and I, I want to get your take on this because you and you tweeted uh, below the tweet from our uh, from our show account um, that this kind of represents maybe the lack of touch that he has with twenty year olds and with college aged um, student athletes at this point in, in his career. But last year the come sit with us situation with Jeff Capel and coach K just completely misunderstanding and misrepresenting what the Duke student section was doing and yelling at them, making a fool out of himself and, and getting upset about it. It just, he seems really angsty. He seems really out of touch with what's going on. And I, I, I don't think I, I I don't think it I don't think that we should say that he wouldn't have done this if it was a reporter who is 20 years into the business asking this question because I think he's he was so upset by it and he's always been kind of um, yeah. upsettable in post game press conferences when his team loses because that's the way he is and he's not a good loser um, so I don't think he did it necessarily just because it was a student but the fact that he a kid and ask what their hardest class was, was just dumb. Yeah. I think more than anything, this was him taking out his frustration on somebody, not because they were a Duke student um, and he felt insulted by maybe it's a, a little bit of, Hey, who are you to uh, ask me this question? Right. Maybe that is a little bit of it, but I think more than anything, it was frustrating for him and he lashed out because he doesn't have an answer to that question right now. He doesn't know what the next steps are for Duke. He, it looks like they're a little bit lost. They're in uncharted territory. I mean, we've not seen a Duke team in this situation. I, it got bad in what, 2016, the 2017 team with Brandon Ingram, where they, it was a little bit suspect as to whether or not they might make the tournament. And they, they weren't ranked at a point with Bagley, but it wasn't like, okay, they might miss the tournament bad i don't think this late in the year um and i think he's a little bit he said earlier in the week this feels like the youngest team he's had at duke in a long time which is weird considering they've had freshman latent teams in the past and this team actually does have some important returning guys when we look at Goldwire, we look at hurt and some of the others but the fact of the matter is i think he lashed out because he saw an opportunity to potentially deflect from a question he didn't have an answer to that he feels like he should have an answer to and I don't know what the answer is for Duke either, but I think that was a large part of it. Again, that's not excusing what he did because uh, maybe saying it's unacceptable is a little bit too much 
Um, but it certainly wasn't good and it wasn't something that you would want. It wasn't condonable. So that's where I'm at with it. It's not the end of the world. Maybe it's emblematic of, and this is speculation, a, a potential disconnect between him and college age players, uh, especially young freshmen. But again, that's purely speculative. And it's easy to make that point right now while they're losing. So, yeah, I would just say it's odd because there was so much talent coming into the year and there was so much belief that things, even if they were slow out of the gate and they, I mean, look at me, I was like, Duke's a top five team. Matthew Hurt's going to win conference player of the year. They're awesome. And they're just not. Yeah. I mean, Roach has just not been very good. He didn't, he did not, he didn't score against Louisville. DJ Stewart was okay, but he missed an open three to tie the game at the end of regulation. Um, Hurt and Jalen Johnson seem like they take turns dominating games, which is odd, but I guess it makes sense because they both kind of take up each other's spaces and get in the way of each other. So I don't know. I don't know what, what percentage chance or what percentage would you put on them making the tournament at this point? Like how confident are you that, that they are a tournament team, even if it's just a nine or a 10 seed, which I think would be, by far the worst seed that they've been in the last 25 years. Yeah. I don't have yeah. the historical numbers right up next to me, but. I mean, so I think the biggest thing is that for them, the freshmen are going to fluctuate. The fact that Wendell Moore has been such a disappointment this year, I think is the biggest reason why they have kind of backslid from expectations. I'm going to pull up their schedule right now. Um, just to kind of assure myself of what they've got coming up. Um, so looking at it now, without COVID cancellation, they've lost their last three um, against Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Louisville. Given all of those are road games, two of those teams are probably tournament teams, potentially all three. Not easy. They've been competitive in all of them. Um, that said, they've got a Georgia Tech team coming in that, I mean, Georgia Tech is actually – pretty competent team and has been hot and just pushed Virginia within two points, destroyed Clemson after a long postponement. And before they lost to Virginia had won their first three games in ACC play beating UNC and wake um, before beating Clemson. So Georgia tech, that's not easy. That feels like a must win. Clemson is in desperation mode after losing their first three games out of COVID pause by double digits that's their next game. Both those are at Cameron. Very winnable. Do feels like they have to win those two. And if they do win those two, I think they're on the right side of the bubble again. But then you go at Miami versus North Carolina versus Notre Dame at NC State at Wake versus Virginia. That's huge. Versus Syracuse versus Louisville at Georgia Tech at UNC. I mean, it's doable. It's very doable. I would say my faith that they figure this out is still at about 55%. Maybe that's unwarranted 55, 60% that neighborhood, just because they are Duke and the talent is overwhelming. And yeah, it's been a tough run of things. They, they've had tough games to start conference play and they did win their first three games in the league. So we'll see. They've got to figure out um, how to get more out of Goldwire, how to get more 
out of Wendell Moore. Matthew Hurt's been doing his job, and the freshmen are going to fluctuate. And that's going to be the formula for Duke. If, they, if those three guys step up and play at the level they should consistently, Duke makes a tournament and the sentence with a period. I just don't think – I don't know if they have – they don't seem to have any moments where they just dominate the game, even when they're playing inferior competition. And that's yeah. why that's why I, I'm so iffy on if they make the tournament. And I would probably go in the opposite respect of you, and I'd be like – 45 55 because i think that there's still some really dumb losses in acc play out there where they lose to like wake forest you mentioned they have to go to wake forest wake forest just hung around at cameron and i know obviously there's no fans and stuff but that even makes it more the case that i think if 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 a team where you just take all of the um, spectators out of play and we've we've seen teams just get absurdly hot from three at on certain occasions and you've texted me about this and thinking just some of the some of the blowouts are just hot shooting nights where the shooting background isn't fluctuating and guys just get crazy hot I think that can happen with some bad teams in the ACC they can pile up a couple bad losses so I would lean more of like 45 percent that they make the tournament or lower but we will certainly see. I would just, I would just say we've only had ten games, and I think that there's been ten games of Duke basketball, and I think that there's been three or four times where we've now had post game things. Uh, yeah, Coach K has said that become storylines, and that I think is very significant in in terms of just the way he seems to have a handle on it. And I mentioned this last week when we were talking about Kentucky, that it seemed like Mr. PR 101, John Calipari was just losing the PR battle too with his team. Yeah. Coach K is losing the PR battle too. And it's so, that's the weirdest thing about this year is, is not just that these teams are struggling because every once in a while, these blue bloods don't play very well. Yeah. Like, especially the one we've done seen this before. We've seen this before, but we don't usually see the coaches just compound the mistakes by fumbling over the words and doing dumb things that get talked about at the start of shows like this. Yeah. Um, and I will say this, this game against Georgia tech is crucial. Like they have to win this game. Um, right now, I, I think tech and with the way Georgia tech is playing under Josh Pastner at the moment, I would say it's like 50 50 between these two teams. If you had to pick one to make the tournament, I don't know which one I would choose. So this Duke game coming up here is absolutely crucial, and we don't know what opportunities are going to get taken away from them to get good wins by COVID. It could stack up that all their their padding wins, potentially in the league, against the Wake Forests and such, get canceled, or they could get their opportunities to beat the good teams get canceled, and we'll see what that um, – it's all very relative and fluid right now. We hear that a lot nowadays. But uh, in a very competitive – ACC, the biggest thing that I would take away from this is that you would expect Duke with an all-time coach to be getting better every game or showing some improvement. They look like the exact same team that took the floor at the beginning of the year. There's been no sense of improvement, at least to me. Yeah, you don't see very often. I just looked at it. The average margin of victory and just the difference between points per game scored and points against for Duke is 1.5 points. They score 73 and a half points per game. They give up 72 points per game. That's just super rare. Um, let's talk about a league that had a lot go on um, and has suddenly kind of surged into being 
a little more competitive uh, nationally than we believed it was going to be. We thought it was going to be top heavy at the start of the year in our preseason preview. We thought it was just going to be Tennessee and Kentucky. Now it seems like it's Tennessee, Alabama, Missouri, um, Florida at some points as well. So Tennessee, we will start this, this new segment we're going to introduce just a sec uh, with the sec. You're going to, you're going to lead us through it. I, I'm going to give you free reign to take us in whichever matchup you want to talk about first. Yeah, I think we got to start with the the ranked first ranked matchup in the league this weekend, which was Tennessee, Missouri on Rocky Top. Tennessee had the disgraceful loss, and I think it's fair to call it that, a 26-point loss in Gainesville to uh, Florida in the midweek, and then they come back, and um, they've got Missouri, a team that they crushed by 20 when they played them in Columbia earlier this year. Um, and they just had too much out of Pinson to handle. I think Xavier Pinson goes nuclear 27. And that really is the reason that Missouri won. But like, this was a wire to wire win. Missouri never trailed in this game. And when you were telling me what was going on, cause I was at the gym in the first half, I just went back and rewatched it. When you were saying East Ponds has 18 points at halftime, I'm just assuming Tennessee's not big. No, it's not what happened. Um, Missouri, just too much offense in Tennessee. And, and there is some nuance to this, which we'll talk about, but Tennessee just, again, unable to get the offense going the way they need to, and they lose to a team that I think we would have perceived as inferior to them before the week. Yeah, and so they've <laughs> – I had them, full disclosure, I had them at three in my heat check poll last Sunday, uh, and then they lost by by 20-plus to, to Florida. They lose by nine to Missouri and never lead in that game. I will, but I'm going to come off as a Tennessee apologist right here, okay? So fair warning. Missouri, they're a 29% three-point shooting team. They want they went eight of nineteen, which is forty-two percent on Saturday. Xavier Pinson goes three for three, ten of fourteen from the field, twenty-seven points. Huge game for him. Uh Drew Smith made a couple threes. It was I'm just gonna say it. I think it was a lucky performance by Mizzou. They're a bad three-point shooting team and they hit three-point shots against a team. And and it, if there's anything that we've come to understand is that three point uh three-point defense is pretty fluky. Some nights people just make shots on you. And it's unfortunate that Florida and Missouri both made a bunch of shots. And I don't think that Tennessee's it, – it's, it's telling that Tennessee's defense, when it breaks down, quote-unquote breaks down, mm-hmm. and just teams make shots on them, that they fall apart and lose in non-competitive fashion. The So while I'm going to be a Tennessee apologist in that respect, what I will also say – is Tennessee's offense has some problems and we've been saying this because we think that the shot distribution is to the wrong people. And when, when I told you that Eves was leading the team and scoring the first half, as I was watching the game live, I guess I failed to mention how poorly I thought that was leading things for Tennessee, because I don't think they want Eves ponds to be their leading scorer. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice thing to have when he's hitting threes because it adds another dimension to your offense um, with that pick-and-pop game, giving you a little bit more shooting. 
I think you, you were talking about being an apologist. I think bigger than what, even what you said is that um, they didn't have Jaden Springer and they didn't have Keon Johnson available for this game. And um, I think that is, it can't be overstated because in a lot of respects, I think Springer maybe has been their most efficient, effective player um, in a lot of ways. I mean, this is a team whose leading scorer is averaging like 11 points per game in John Fulkerson. And right now, Tennessee is at a place offensively where I think they're relying a little bit too heavily on their system and not as much so on their talent. And, and that is a thing that we've seen with Rick Barnes' teams. It's worked out. We saw him develop that culture where they were ranked number one a couple of years ago um, by developing veterans and counting on veterans. When we talk about Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, et cetera, this team's best players are freshmen and they need to play more. And that's all I can say about it. Like Keon Johnson is averaging nine points per game. He's playing 20 minutes per game. Springer is averaging 10 points per game. He's averaging 20 minutes per game. Viscovi's averaging 10 points per game and playing 35 minutes a game. I mean, I think the point kind of makes itself. For yeah, Tennessee yeah. To, to reach the, the heights they are capable of, count on the veterans to make your defense steady. Count on them to do the dirty work. Put the ball in the hands of your best players, talent-wise, and let them go play. Yeah, and and I think that part of the part of the issue is that they lose the turnover battle, eighteen to eleven. Viscovi, to his credit, only took three shots, so we like that a little bit more. Um, Do we though? Do we? I mean, a guy playing thirty-eight minutes and taking three shots. I mean, as long as as long as he's still quote like looking for his shot, but not hunting shots there's a difference i think that they're fine but See, I, I want Viscovi to shoot the ball right but i just don't think he needs to be playing 38 minutes in a game and i understand they were thin in this one really weird that anasiki is not playing more who is the big transfer they got from sacred heart that's a guy who averaged given in a smaller league but 17 points per game and is hardly playing that seems a little weird to me um it just it feels like they they're working harder than they have to to create their own offense. And when teams do that, when it feels like every basket is a challenge, it makes it a little bit harder to consistently win and you have results like this. And what I'm saying is that for whatever reason, Rick Barnes is tying his own hand behind his back with this team and it wouldn't be so hard if you just played the guys. And again, those guys are hurt right now. They will come back. But when they come back, I think this should be kind of a come-to-Jesus moment for him. No pun intended with him being the deacon and such. Where it's like, okay, we figured out what this team can be and what it is without these guys. They need to play more. And I just think it's time to kind of, you know, take the bridle off a little bit. Yeah. Last thing I would say is I just don't think that Eves Ponds needs to shoot eight threes a game. So. Yeah, I mean, he made them, and he kind of like was the only offense they had in this game, but that should not be what they depend on on a nightly basis now. Um, would like to see a little bit more out of uh, Josiah Jordan-James as well, just throwing that out there. It feels like Tennessee's most talented players are the ones that are doing the least, and that doesn't make a lot of sense, just saying. Do you think they're done? Do you think there's no way that with three conference losses now they're chasing an unbeaten Bama team in the league down? We'll talk about the rest of the league, but I think that's the overarching question is who can catch Alabama. I think 
I think Bama is going to run away with this conference. I just don't. They, you can say all you want about maybe them missing three pointers a couple nights and maybe losing once or twice, but the fact that they're, I said this on the show last week, the fact that their rim and three percentage is number one in the country and that 80, 79% of their shots are either a three pointer or a, a layup or dunk at the rim. The percentage at, at which that they get layups and dunks offsets and kind of mitigates against cold nights from three, where, you know, you're still, if you, if you're not making the high upside shot, you're still, you've still got a pretty good baseline. And so I think that their floor is actually a lot higher than people think. Um, and that they, they've gotten more effective um, with their field goal percentage from, from two point than they were early in the year. And that's why they lost to a Stanford and a Western Kentucky and stuff, stuff like that. So yes, I think Alabama runs away with this league. And I guess the interesting part is, the race for second place. And I think Tennessee is still the best team um, in second. And I'm not as big on Missouri, but um, let's talk about the rest of the league. Yeah. So I think the second biggest headline from the league this weekend, honestly, maybe the biggest um, is what Auburn was able to do in South Carolina scoring 109 points on the road. And I don't know if there's been a more transformative player in college basketball this year in Sharif Cooper I would pick him right now to win conference player of the year, even over a John Petty. And you're shaking your head. No, the guy has been ridiculous though, Gabe. And it is, you cannot deny the impact he's made because Auburn was not a very good team without him. And with him, they are three and two. Yes. But a four point loss to Alabama and a two point loss to Arkansas. Let me just read you the numbers for him so far. So starting with South Carolina, 16 points, 12 assists, six rebounds, Arkansas, 25 points, four assists, four rebounds, only 11 against Kentucky, eight assists, three rebounds. Uh, didn't shoot the ball well in that game, but was instrumental in Kentucky falling in that one. Auburn was able to get the win and Shreve Cooper was a huge part of that made some incredible plays against Georgia, 28 points, 12 assists, five rebounds. And then against Alabama in his debut, 26 points, three steals, nine assists, four rebounds. Turnover numbers are high. You compared him a little bit to Trey Young, but he's been unbelievable so far and has made Auburn a potential tournament team. He's made them fun to watch too. And I understand that, um, man, if he if he was cleared at the start of the year, I think Auburn is a safe tournament team. And I think that they don't do some of the things that they did in non-conference in November and December and, and such. But um, – I don't know. I guess I can understand his conference player of the year argument in that he's been so high impact, uh, even in this short sample size that we've seen from him. And also just that in a year where teams are playing 20, 22, 25 games instead of 32, when the conference tournaments start and such, um, I can understand that the small sample size probably doesn't hurt him as, as much as it does in in a normal year so i can see it uh yes i do think that he has some trey young in him and just in terms of the high usage rate um the amount of stats that he puts up that looks kind of more nba like than typical from a college guard and that's his i don't know if that's i don't think that's his nba comp but i think that's what he's been like in terms of a one-man show at the college level and 
I'm just going to ride till the end, the John Petty for SEC player of the year uh, train. Cause I think that he's, he's the best player on the best team. And I think when that team is a top eight team in the country in my, in my mind right now, I think that's going to win the, the award more often than not. Yeah. Auburn's going to be fun to watch because they're really young, really young. Um, five of their top six or so players are freshmen or sophomores. Uh, you almost hope that if you were an Auburn fan, that somehow you could keep Sharif for a year because it would have been really fun to see him grow with his team. He's gone after the season. I think he's made himself into a top 10 pick for sure. Um, but yeah, Auburn, I think, is going to be one of the rising significant stories in the league because of him. And I think he is going to win conference player of the year. I think it's going to be a Trey Young situation where statistically it's just too overwhelming. Uh, he's putting up 21 and nine right now. Like you don't do that in college. You don't do that. Um, let's move on. Let's talk about LSU and Kentucky. LSU just was bad. Uh, I'll see the floor to you, but LSU sucked. They're 133rd in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. And which has dropped, by the way, like 30 spots over the last two games. They were 100. They were yeah. 100 last week. And it's the same. Like Iowa went from 72 to 96 this week when they lost to Indiana. Um, and just that's the fluctuation that a Fran McCaffrey defense has. And Man, LSU, I texted you on Saturday. LSU is everything they do is lazy. They're lazy defensively. They are they have very little very little structure offensively um when things break down. And they were just lazy inbounding the ball. And that came to that when you when you get thoroughly out outperformed. Um, by a Kentucky team that has been this disappointing, by a Kentucky team that has had a lack of leadership at times. Um, when, you, when you talk about guys not wanting to go to the podium and making Keon Brooks go and talk, even when he was inactive and stuff like that, this shouldn't be a Kentucky team that should that is capable of just running you out of the gym, even if you're on the road and even if there are actually limited capacity fans in Lexington. Will Wade, I guess, is just not coaching defense this year because it's not like they have bad athletes. Um, I guess they just are not on a string very often. And it, it was very frustrating to watch this game because it got away from them so quickly too. Mm -hmm. They got into a 12, four deficit early and just never recovered. Yeah. Uh, it, they had some problems. They ran a press early on, which is something that LSU does, which I think opens them up to giving up a lot of, and Jimmy Dykes was harping on this throughout the broadcast opens them up to giving up a lot of corner threes because they're not set defensively and guys are going to pop open and the semi-transition stuff. Um, and they got, they were a little bit too slow, I think, to get out of that. But yeah, no, it just felt like they gave up defensively. They give up a ton of threes. I don't know what's going on. LSU in the past has been a team that's competed. They've not defensively been under Will Wade, what Will Wade had at VCU. Maybe that, is a little to do with the remnants of Shaka's influence at VCU. I'm not sure, but I think it's it, needless to say that LSU is now in a spot where you're starting to think bubble a little bit, and that's not where they wanted to be. I mean, of course, they could be suspended and kept out of the tournament. That's possible too. But well, there are a couple yeah. losses away from self-imposed tourney ban. 
Oh yeah, they're definitely entering the territory now at ten and four. Um, I would just say this: I did not look at the box score when I was watching this game because I just wanted to see how it felt and not be influenced by the numbers. But looking at it, looking back at it, Kentucky shot seven of twenty-six from three. We know that they're not a good three-point shooting team. That's twenty-six point nine percent. But when you shoot four of twenty-three from three, which is what LSU does, Javante Smart goes one of seven. Cameron Thomas, who some people say he looks like a young buddy healed went one of eight from three. When those two guys go two for 15 and you shoot 17%, it made Kentucky feel like they were just knocking down every three. And that was not the case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're not winning conference road games shooting four of 23 from three. So that's part of the issue in, and part of the deficit. And when you're, when those shots aren't falling, um, it can really magnify your issues but the defense, 133rd in the country, that's just unbelievably bad. It's un, it, it doesn't make sense. It ain't good. It ain't good. Um, no, I, and like, it's just it's, – it's inexcusable for a team that is not freshman Layton. I mean, Cameron Thomas is a freshman, yes, and he's important. But Trenton Wofford's back. Javante Smart's back. All these guys are back. And – to be so disinterested defensively, it was, it was shocking. I mean, I will give credit. Kind of looks like BJ Boston is starting to come around. And I also will give credit to Coach K because Kentucky, despite how bad it started and it's not good now, they've gotten better. They, they've improved throughout the course of the year. It'd be hard to get worse, but they've gotten better. Um, that's the flip side of this. I, I, I also don't think Kentucky's like done for the tournament either. Um, oh, they're five. No, I, I don't. You got to win the league. I, I, I think that's possible though. I think that with their talent and some of the stuff that they're starting to figure out, um, ask looks better every game. I think Kentucky's kind of in a, a decent little place here going forward. They've got Alabama in Tuscaloosa coming up. We'll see how they perform there. A uh, whole load of ranked teams and a really tough run of games for Kentucky at Alabama versus Texas at Missouri versus Tennessee. They can maybe somehow get one of those. I think it's possible for them to maybe make a little run and get in on name brand alone. I mean, it, it's worth noting from the Kentucky perspective, perspective that Keon Brooks coming back has clearly changed things for them. Um, the Olivier Saar experiment has just been an abject failure. I don't necessarily agree with you on the Devin Askew thing. I mean, he looks like he knows what's going on. His yeah. offensive production, which is an improvement. Yeah. I mean, it was a low bar, um, but just understanding what's going on has, has improved things. He's just, all he does is take threes and he's not a good three point shooter. Um, but yeah, Brandon Boston's getting better. Isaiah Jackson is just so lengthy and I think is I don't know if he I don't think he he's not the best player on this team but he's probably the guy that gets drafted the highest this year I think I think it's still Boston I think it's really yeah I do I think Boston's gonna get on a nice little little bit of a tear here in conference play it could be a maybe a little he gives me Kevin Knox vibes but (laughs) but uh yeah I just Kentucky's not making the tournament unless they win the, the conference tournament, but that might happen. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That kind of rounds out the SEC update. Florida 
beat Georgia and is starting to look at least a little bit more consistent. Another team that's profiling as a potential tournament team. The SEC is going to be real weird. The most bubble-ish conference in the country, I think, by far. I think there's a very real world where the conference produces maybe three tournament teams. I think there's a real world where somehow they get seven. So we'll see what happens, but we'll keep you posted here on Heat Check. All right, so that's your first uh, Just a Sec update. We are going to debut a segment that was part of the show last year, uh, Making a Champion with our good friend Logan Camden and myself. Um, I'm going to take you through – what all would you like to be introduced to, Peyton? Uh, Based on the criteria, based on the data, how far in do we want to go? Uh, Do you want me to leave some crumbs – about what we're going to probably end up with. Um, and should, should I just introduce, should I introduce the eligible teams based on the first criteria? Well, I'm just happy that there's absolutely no way that you could just tailor the whole thing to tell you Kansas is going to be the champion at this point. So uh, show me the eligible bachelors. Okay. I will just, to dispel the rumors out there, it they is. Are many. They are it, abundant purely blind coincidence uh-huh. that making a champion turned into the Kansas coronation last year, um, that they became far and away the best team in the country. And anyone who tells you otherwise, anyone who tells you that this uh, criteria based formula, that this, uh, what should we call it? Um, this journey to crown a champion. Uh, this was started when I had, doubts about Michigan state last year. This had nothing to do with me wanting to crown KU. It turned into that when it became KU versus Dayton. Yeah, that's it. And so, but we don't have to worry because we won't be seeing that this year. Um, first thing I'm just going to go based on the first, uh, the first criteria, the, I guess, I guess the birth of, of this idea, um, Every national champion since 1988 has had a first-round pick in the NBA draft on its roster. I'm saying this. I've been relatively liberal with this. I went and looked at multiple mock drafts from different websites, put any team on this list who we think has someone on their roster who will be a first-round pick in any of the next three to four years so they could play themselves into being one. Maybe we miss one, but I think I cast a pretty wide group. Here's what we've got. We've got Oklahoma State. Gonzaga, USC, Texas, Duke, Arkansas, UConn, Louisville, Florida State, Stanford, Kentucky, Tennessee, Texas Tech, Arizona State, Illinois, LSU, Auburn, West Virginia, Baylor, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova, Memphis, Virginia, Providence, Oregon, and Michigan. Is that 40 teams? Yeah, and it's that's why it could be over the next couple of years because um, – for example, like a Michigan. I don't know if Franz Wagner is a first-round pick this year, but I think he is next year. Um, other examples. Um, Baylor. Baylor, I'm putting them on the list because I think Jared Butler is a first-round pick. I, I, I think if, if Peyton Pritchard can be a first-round pick, I don't know why Jared Butler can't be. Uh, some of the other ones are relatively um, easy to understand. Arkansas, Moses Moody, UConn, James Booknight. Yeah. Shout out book night, Louisville, David Johnson, Stanford, Zaire Williams, Kentucky. We've already talked about them. BJ Boston and such. 
Uh, I put Texas Tech on the list because I think that Terrence Shannon Jr. is a first-round pick, um, and I've seen him in mocks that have him there. Some people have him going in the mid-30s this year. Some people have him going in the first round next year. We will see. Uh, And then last but not least, Christian Brown is a first-round pick in probably next year's draft. I've seen him mocked one pick behind uh, Bronny James, I believe. I believe that's what I saw uh, in a in second a, overall. <laughs> second overall. Um, all right. So top. Tw- I wrote this down. Top twenty-five Ken Palm teams without a future first-round pick. That so these are teams that the national. This is this is the conversation we'll have today based on making a champion. Top twenty-five teams, which are, I would say, teams the national media. Um, the consensus basic college basketball fan out there is going to think, you know, this team could win a national championship and I'm going to tell you why they can't. Um, Iowa is not on the list. Houston is not on the list. Creighton is not on the list. What? You don't, you don't think Wieskamp can be a first round pick? No. Shocking. Yeah. The, the, people don't think Luca Garza can be a second round pick. I didn't see a single I that. second round pick. I agree with that. He plays basketball like he's wearing like Kleenex boxes around his shoes. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to tell you why all of these teams can't make it unless you want to know right this week. Um, No, no, don't spoil it. Okay. So we'll get to that. Um, I will mention each team as we get to their criteria over the, the weeks, but here we are top 25 teams without a future first round pick, Iowa, Houston, Creighton, Wisconsin, Colorado, that one scares me because I think McKinley Wright maybe could backdoor a little Peyton. No, no, no. He's like 5'10". Okay, whatever. Ohio if, Isaiah, if Isaiah Thomas, is, who's pretty much the same player as McKinley Wright, is going to be the last pick of the second round, no, McKinley Wright is not going in the first round. All right, all right. Ohio State, I had Clemson, but they fell out of the top 25 this past weekend, and then UCLA. We will get to them later this this year. Um, so that's our introduction to making a champion. You have how many teams is that? A little, it's a little over thirty teams. No, I'm adding them up. So he came prepared. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. In, in the meantime. I- as you count out loud, 2017. This is fantastic. Sorry, this was bad podcast. Very content. 27. Yeah, very good content. Eligible at the moment. To win um, my question would be so if UCLA, if Chris Smith ends up being a first round pick, but he's not playing right now, how does that work? That's a great question. And well, that, that's why I have them as without. Okay. So it, that means he, no. The, the great thing is that they are not even on like the cut line. Okay. Not on the bubble. The criteria that will cut them out of this list, they miss by a wide margin. So there's no worries. Okay. That's just a little little sneak peek. Um, We definitely don't have 10 weeks until the NCAA tournament. We're a lot closer to it than that. So we may have to do two criterias every Sunday night slash Monday pod whenever we end up recording those. Um, But stay tuned because that's what we will get to. Um, there's your introduction, making champion. The, the one thing I will say as a hint 
toward down the line. And this leads us into our next conversation about what's going on in the Big 12 and the Big 10, the, the nation's heartland and the two best conferences in America. Um, is I think, I, I don't even think, I know this because I've seen which way making a champion leans and what teams um, are currently eligible to win the national championship. Um, the Big 12 is better than the Big 10. The Big 12 has more national championship contenders than the Big 10. Do you agree or do you disagree? No, I fully agree. And you know this. Um, I, I think the Big 12 is a better conference. I think if you put the top six teams in the Big 12 up against the top six of the, uh, the, the Big 10, you're coming away potentially four and two or five and one in favor of the Big 12, if not a clean sweep. Uh, yeah, no, and I'm not talking by standing. I'm talking by power ranking because I don't think anybody thinks that Oklahoma, although they are good, is the third best team in the Big 12 like they currently are in the standings. All that on the table, um, I think it is a much better league. I think the bottom of the league is worse because the Big Ten really only has Nebraska that's just an out-and-out bad team because Maryland is in this weird spot where after beating Minnesota on the road, they've now tied their record for um, the most top 25 road wins in school history, despite being only a couple games above 500. They're the most – them in Florida are just total enigmas. I don't understand them. Um, but aside from Nebraska, the Big Ten doesn't really have anybody bad. The Big 12 has three out-and-out bad schools right now with TCU, Kansas State, who is maybe the worst power six team in the country. Um and then, of course, Iowa State. So Iowa State, TCU, and KSU are, are, are all awful. But the top of the Big 12 is significantly better. So I think the Big 12 is the best conference in America, personally. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I've The last two weeks, I've seen enough to think that Baylor is the best team in the country. Uh, Gonzaga made a very convincing statement once again on Saturday night. They were like, we're not going to mess around with Pacific for very long. We're just going to hang 52 on them in the first half and proceed on with our quest to go undefeated. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the big 10 has this depth to it. And that's why we see things like this weekend where Ohio state beats Wisconsin, Maryland beats Minnesota, Indiana goes on Thursday night and wins at Iowa, which speaking of which 10 straight minutes without a made basket by Iowa is a, is a minor miracle um, for Indiana. Um, and I'm as big of an Indiana fan as or big, big of an Indiana believer in this team as anyone, but they're also nine and seven. Um, I, what, what storylines intrigue you the most from these two teams or two, two leagues, excuse me. Um, I think whether or not Baylor can go undefeated, that is fascinating uh, to verify exactly how good they are historically that is a real point of intrigue. Uh, I mean, I'm always aboard the Texas wagon, picking to go Final Four. And then Michigan State, whether or not now coming out of the pause, they've kind of become an afterthought. They, they've got to make some headway towards the tournament to get in. Can they turn it around and be the team that I thought they were going to be? Those were the things I'd be looking for. Yeah, because Michigan State's two and four in the Big Ten, and yeah. – their kind of feather in their cap was the Duke win, which doesn't look nearly as impressive anymore. Not so good. Not so good with Coach K screaming at 20-year-olds and whatnot 
yeah, with his mask on his chin. And then was it after that game or was it after the Illinois game that he said that didn't feel right? I don't remember. No, it was after, it was after Illinois. It was after yeah, Illinois. Okay. okay. Um, in other interesting notes from the conference, and I've, out of pure fairness to Duke and to Kentucky and the criticism that we've uh, bestowed upon them, we should talk about Kansas, their first three-game losing streak since 2013. Oof. That 2013 team – if you remember or you recall, is the one that Bill Self said uh, compared somewhat to the Kansas teams of early days that lost to Topeka YMCA. Uh, They lost at TCU that year. Um, That was the Ben McLemore year. And I thought this was interesting. KU, as the AP poll was released this morning, came out at 15. Mizzou is at 12, which means Mizzou is above KU in the AP poll for the first time since the Tigers were ranked third, KU is ranked fourth. That was heading into the 2012 NCAA tournament. So that's a little interesting note. Um, Obviously we know uh, Peyton and I both know this, the losing streak has a little bit of an asterisk to it, to it because that Kansas game that would have been against Iowa state last two Saturdays ago um, was canceled because of COVID and KU is not losing at home to Iowa state. So take it for what it is. But speaking of the problems with this team um, and just what's going on against Oklahoma, if we want to talk about three-point regression, I know Tennessee has kind of been on the the odd end of it with Florida making a bunch of threes, Missouri making a bunch of threes. Um, In the last six games, Kansas has allowed opponents to shoot 40% from three. Does that worry you um, or are you of the nature thinking that's going to regress and they'll be okay? Yeah, they're fine. I'm not worried about Kansas at all. Uh, obviously, you know, three losses in a row will perk your ears up. But teams have just made an extremely high volume of threes. Again, I'm just going to, like, reiterate, stop playing McCormick as much as you do. Play Mitch Lightfoot more all I want. I think it would be very helpful. But aside from that, Kansas, even with McCormick on the floor, is a lot better than how they showed the last couple of weeks. And if teams just make a normal amount of threes, and maybe this is something with their defense, I'm not sure. But if teams just make their normal amount of threes, they potentially even go 3-0 and over the last stretch of games. And that includes the Baylor game. I mean, this is about as bad as the KU defense has looked in years. And they're 19th in the country in defensive efficiency, which really is not, is not all that bad. Most teams... Like Iowa would kill to be the 19th best defensive team in the country. Um, I think that the big, the biggest issue and the thing that concerns me, the, the big 12 title race, the regular season title race, which uh, Kansas puts relatively high stock into, they're not going to win it this year. I think Baylor's obviously going to run away with it. Kansas has four losses in league play now um, and is behind. I think they're in the bottom. They're in the bottom half of the league. They're in sixth place right now. So this is one of the rare years where Bill Self, I'm very interested to see what he does because this is one of the rare years where Bill Self is able to just coach K it, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. coach Cal, Cal do it, um, and just gear up for the NCAA tournament. He's hinted at lineup changes. I don't know what that's going to be because um, I would think it would mean more Tristan and Aruna because I think he's the piece that if he gets confidence, if he's able to play the five, next to Jalen Wilson or play the four next to Jalen Wilson at the five with Oach CB and either Marcus Garrett or Dewan Harris. That's a lineup that 
if they can figure out their their problems and if there is a problem with the Kansas defense, it is switching screens and ball screens. Um, that could really fix things for them. They just need to understand. I don't worry. About, I'm very interested to see what Kansas and Tennessee do this weekend when they play because, and we'll, we will talk about all of the Big 12 SEC challenge in our midweek show, but that's a, a prime matchup for a game where both teams have seen opponents just make an absurd amount of threes on them. So what happens between those two uh, good defenses will be interesting, but they'll be fine. They will make the NCAA tournament safely, which is them and UCLA are having significantly better seasons than Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina and, and whatever. So um, that's the way things go. I do think though, Oklahoma needs to be talked about because we just yep. continue to sleep on Lon Kruger and this team and this program just is always competent, I guess, which is saying a lot for Oklahoma basketball. No, sure. I mean, we knew about Reeves coming into the year um, and we knew about Manic. What we didn't necessarily know is how they'd fill in. And I mean, I think the answer to that has been fairly resounding to this point. Uh, Long Kruger is a good coach. They, they have not been maybe – where they were under Buddy Heald, they've not necessarily been a surefire tournament team. It would have been kind of up in the air as to whether or not they made it last year. They were making a late push. But uh, when you look at their team as a whole, right, the thing that I don't think anybody was expecting was Devion Harmon to be what he's been over the last stretch of games. Uh, they've won their last three. In those three, 22 against DCU, 16 against Kansas State, and 22 in this one. Um making a bunch of threes living in the corners and it kind of feels like if he's going to be their, their third star, Umoja Gibson's given them uh, streaks of good play as well at times throughout the year. But if he can kind of be that third dude, they're in a pretty good spot. And, and like, I mean, I didn't catch the start of this game. I'm looking at the box board. Did Brady Manic come off the bench? Yeah. I think and, he's, he either had COVID or he was injured, but they've been surprisingly good without the absurd senior year of Brady Manic that I was expecting, which is, which says a lot about how competent Reeves has been as the point guard. They've swapped him and Harmon to play Reeves at point and Harmon as a two, which has worked really well for them. And Kerr Quaff has been decent for them. Um, he's not obviously like the greatest shooter of all time for a center, but he's okay ish. And he just holds his own inside, um, which is surprising against a, a big 12 where you see decent bigs or decent five men every night. Yeah. And when Jamal B enemy transferred out, I, I thought that was going to actually hurt them a little bit. Not the most important player in the world for them, but did play 31 minutes per game, average five points per game. Uh, when he transferred to UTEP, I thought that was going to be pretty detrimental because I thought he was a very important glue guy, and they've worked right around that. They've been fine. Yeah, I I will be interested to see, though, as we if we talk about the rest of this week, um, and we picked this game, uh, if you check our Twitter feed, at heatcheck underscore show on Twitter, um, we're picking Oklahoma and Texas this week. Um Texas won't have Shaka Smart because he just tested positive for COVID. I don't know if that'll change and if the game won't happen because of it, uh, if Texas has problems other than him necessarily. But 
if Oklahoma can go to Austin and win against a top five team, that all, just about all but locks them up as a tournament team and probably a tournament team that wears white on the first day. Yeah, for sure. I agree. So that's interesting. Um, do you have any parting thoughts on the Big Ten and just which which opposing or which road team winning Ohio State versus Wisconsin, Maryland against Minnesota um, kind of surprised you more on Saturday? Does does Marcus Carr and them disappearing, or uh, um, you watched Ohio State and Wisconsin? I didn't necessarily yeah. know much about that game, um, but what I mean, happened? What happened with our grant with the your grandpappy's favorite team. Uh, so if we're going to talk about surprise, it's definitely Minnesota losing at the fortress. That is the barn uh, is the shock of the year in college basketball, but Ohio state is look, I, I watched that game. Like, and I finally got one, right. Um, and I, I gotta say, man, like, Ohio State is a team that is figuring out their identity, and they've got EJ Liddell playing at a high level, and, and suing has been good, and they play gutty defense, and they're just good. Like, Holtman, we're going to have this discussion in the midweek about who the top five coaches in college basketball are right now. I don't think Holtman is up there. He's paid, though, what he is worth, and that is a top ten coach in college basketball. I think he's right there. He is a very good coach, and if the recruiting comes along – with his player development, Ohio State's a national title contender. Uh, this is a really good Ohio State team. They definitely have the resources to do it, and uh, I think he's building something special there. He just doesn't necessarily have an elite. He doesn't have a first-round pick is what he doesn't have this year unless Dwayne Washington turns into something that most people haven't projected him at at this point. Um, so lots of things happen. We will have plenty more to talk about. Um, later this week on our midweek show, but let's close the show out. Scholarships and sanctions. I will give you first pick. So I've only got one just tremendous scholarship here this week. You got to see it early. Uh, I wonder if you know exactly what it is, but it goes to my father. Um, We were talking about Vanderbilt football and what Clark Lee has done so far uh, the other day, just texting on Saturday. Um, he said, got a good feeling about Vandy and their direction with like the little colon parentheses smiley face, which if that's the one to use, don't use the emoji smiley face. I go, absolutely. He goes, UT on the other hand is a trash panda dumpster fire with possums on the cleanup call, colon parentheses smiley, which makes absolutely no sense and all the sense in the world at the same time in reference to their, their football coaching search. So that's my only scholarship, but I think it's a really good one. Shout out my dad. Very good text. I have three things. I want your opinion on all of them. Um, first scholarship isn't really that big of a deal, but something worth noting. Clay Helton, he got Domani Jackson, one of the top cornerbacks in the class of 2020, 2021. Wow. Um, to add to a recruiting class that has Corey Foreman. So USC kind of getting things on track. How do you think that that impacts the PAC 12 South um, in upcoming years? And especially this year where Utah is expected to be good. ASU is expected to be really good. And obviously USC just always has the bodies to, to keep things close. Well, it's an Uber 10 class. 
which he's had before. They've not really won anything of import other than the one Rose Bowl. So I feel like that is my answer. Okay, that's fair. My second sanction, I think I know where you're going to go with this um, and what your take is going to be on this, but I'm going to sanction Bobby Hurley because you can't blame an entire game on one officiating call when your team turns the ball over 15 times in the first half and you give up, what was it, 49 points in the second half, even though your team offensively scored 53 or 52 or whatever it was. Um, I think it was 52. So the Pac-12 reprimanded Bobby Hurley for his comments. I think it was a $25,000 fine. Maybe I'm, maybe that's too high or whatever it was. But uh, a lot. Thoughts on the post-game press conference following Thursday night's buzzer beater loss to Arizona? Um, I have no thoughts that are friendly to be shared. So maybe just keep it moving. I just this team frustrates me immensely. It's, I mean, they're still technically eligible for making a champion uh, at this point of the unveiling, just because Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley are first round picks, but not looking bright for the Sun Devils. My last scholarship, I want to end this on a good note. I think this will, um, this will bring a smile to your face after our Kansas City Chiefs won the AFC championship game, setting up a Super Bowl matchup with Tom Brady. I'm going to give a scholarship to Nick Saban because Tom Brady has never won a Super Bowl in a year where Alabama football has won a national championship. How does that make you feel? Um, it makes me feel pretty good. You know, uh, I like our quarterback 15 pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened last night in Kansas city might be one of the most watch national bullyings of all time based on what Patrick Mahomes did. So that's, that's where we're at. Um, two weeks from today, we could be celebrating back-to-back championships and who knows, but um, shout out Nick Saban because he did, he did the Lord's work this year for yes. us, for that us. Is, that's a good way of putting it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that's our show. Uh, thank you for listening. Once again, our midweek show that airs on Thursdays um, airs at 4.30 p.m. on blazeradioonline.com as part of Blaze Radio. This episode can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Pods, like, rate, review, subscribe. If you're going to rate, leave a good rating, leave a good review. Um, for Peyton Gallagher, I'm Gabe Swartz. We will see you Thursday.
gotta know that heat check. Everybody gotta know that we next. Doesn't matter if it's Sunday or Monday, you know that we flex. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. to the top of the top of this. You can never reach these goals. in the booth and we spin the truth. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. Ooh, flow so high, so you know I had to run a bag. Blazes a ball, and we running like a running back. Gabe brought chalk, so you know we having fun with that. Turn you in the up, so you know it ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.